Uh, all right, if you guys have your Bibles with you, we're going to jump into a Hosea. We're going to continue our, our journey through the book of Hosea. We find ourselves still in that first section. We're going to finish the first section tonight. Hosea neatly divides into three parts. First part is dealing with the illustrations of the unfaithfulness of the children of Israel to God. And we're going to see that illustrated in the example of Hosea's life, his relationship with his wife and his children, and how the, the purpose of these first three chapters is how their relationship to God has changed. So we want to take a look at that relationship. So last week we talked about these illustrations of unfaithfulness. One, we saw that Hosea was called to marry a prostitute. So he married a prostitute, not a woman most well known for her faithfulness. Secondly, we saw the trials of the three children. The names of the children are prophetic. They talk about events that the nation of Israel is going to go through, things that they're going to face in the future. Then we see the truth of Israel's future. And it's important because every time God prophetically lays out his judgment, the nation of Israel has been disobedient. There's judgment that's going to come upon the nation. It always is, uh, along with it, is God's ultimate plan for the future of Israel. And in that plan, part of that plan is the love and mercy of God. He will restore them. They, though they are punished, they're not cut off. He doesn't throw them away. He rebuilds. He uh, he moves in their midst to create for himself uh, a remnant who will follow him and who will serve him. And so today we're going to talk about that, the idea of the teaching of God's love and what happens when we have the love of God put in a contradistinction to the judgment of God. How's that work? A lot of times when we think about the characteristics of God or we think about the attributes of God, we think about like a rod, and maybe on one side of the rod we put love, and on the other side of the rod we put wrath, and somewhere in the middle, you know, is where God is. But the Bible teaches that God is perfect and pure love, and he is also perfect and pure wrath. We don't have that. As human beings, most of the time our wrath is associated with the loss of, of self-control and ability to think that's not God. Along with God's wrath is also perfect justice. But along with perfect justice is perfect mercy. So when we talk about the attributes of God, he is all of that. He is holy wrath, holy like holy, H-O-L-Y, not holy, but he's holy wrath and he's holy love. And he's holy justice and he's holy mercy. And so we, we want to be able to see these things, and they're illustrated for us in the second and third chapter of Hosea. <clears throat> so the first thing we see when we think about God's love and how does this interact with God's judgment is God's going to take us through a series of things that he will remove, things that he will pull away so that the people under judgment recognize. Now, I would encourage you, as you think about some of these things, just think about our world today, where we're at today, the things we're facing today, and ask yourself, 
if in, in the love of God and perhaps the judgment of our nation, if we see some of these same things that Israel saw back in Hosea's time. So let, let's take a look. He begins in, uh, in verse 2 of chapter 2. Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. So the first thing we see in this concept of the love of God uh, lined up with the judgment of God is the removal of blessings. God's going to remove his blessing. His blessing sometimes is a hedge of protection. Sometimes it's his provision. But we're going to see that. But when we see it, at the same time you see the removal of blessings, you will hear a call for repentance. Plead with your mother. Plead. Tell her to turn. Tell her. This is a call for repentance. But we read in Revelation, right, you guys? We've all been through Revelation probably a couple of times. And when we've read through Revelation, one of the things that God challenges the churches in chapters 2 and 3 is to repent. And if they don't repent, he says, I will remove your lampstand unless you repent. So there's this there's this. There's this call of God going out to the people, calling them for repentance, which is change your mind about how you're seeing things. Change your direction. There's still time. Even in the judgment of God, change your direction. This is God's call for that attitude of repentance um, as he is coming with his judgment. In verse 3, he says, why? What is the consequence if you don't repent? Verse 3, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like the wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Now keep in mind we're talking about, we're using the illustration of a real woman who is a prostitute who has abandoned her husband and her children and is continuing in the life of, of whoredom. We'll see where that ends as we get to chapter 3. But we're also seeing that as an illustration of a nation who is moved into idolatry and is unfaithful to God. And what is God's call to the nation? What is God saying to the northern kingdom before the northern kingdom ceases to exist? He's calling for her to repent. And if she won't repent, then you see a series of things that are going to go on. You see removal of blessing, uh, being stripped naked, like she was the day she was born. If you want to understand that concept, read Ezekiel 16. So Ezekiel 16, the prophet Ezekiel gives a prophecy about the nation of Israel in which she is described, the nation is described as a child nobody wanted that they threw into a field. And God went and nurtured that child and cared for that child and raised her to adulthood. But she took all the good gifts that God gave her and used it to... Uh, to draw other lovers, other gods, unfaithfulness toward God, and the events that occur in the illustration in Ezekiel 16 will line up pretty well with what we're looking at in the book of Hosea. So he's saying, look, this is the, the you'll be like you were on the day you were born. What's the point? On the day you're born, you don't take care of yourself. Can you feed yourself? No. On the day you were born, is there anything you can do for yourself? No, so what is God saying? To, in terms of the nation, he's saying, look, you're not going to be able to take care of yourself. Everywhere you turn for help, it's not going to turn out. You're going to find yourself all alone 
if I'm not there? And so he's, he's let it, making this known to them. And make her like a wilderness. Another illustration. What, where do you find food and water in the wilderness? The wilderness is not like the wilderness of Idaho. When the Bible uses the term wilderness, it's using, it's, it means the desert. That's the wilderness there. And you go out in the desert and there's, it, nothing looks good. One of the things I used to say about the desert is in the desert, every plant is trying to kill you even. The cactus and all the stuff out there, nothing nice about the desert. So I'll make her like a wilderness, like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Or there'll be lack of water, lack of the things that we need. So there's a removal of blessing because God's judgment is entering in. And that removal of blessing brings a call to repentance. And then if repentance is rejected, I'm not going to repent. Then they continue. The, the blessings continue to, to go away. It says in verse 4, <clears throat> Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She has conceived them. Uh, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers and give them my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. And so the Lord says, the next part of the next thing, right? You, you're going to see the exact same thing in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. When we see the judgment of the seal judgments, and you see the trumpet judgments, and you see the bowl judgments. What's the goal in all of those judgments is for men to repent. In the book of Revelation, what happens? Every time another judgment falls, the scripture replies, and still men would not repent. So when we don't repent, when, when the nation of Israel doesn't respond to the call of God, <clears throat> there, everything moves from bad to worse, to worse. It's, and it's not for their destruction, it's for their repentance. You ever ask yourself how far down the road you got to go before you are willing to learn your lesson? Have you ever been disciplining your children and wondered why I have to beat them every night? Why won't they just go to bed? Why can't we just say go to bed and they just go to bed or come home at a certain time and they just come home at a certain time? Why, why do they always want that discipline? It's part of our nature, right? And this, we see the same reality with God. So God says, look, I'm not going to show mercy. So the nation, if you look at the nation of Israel as a woman, then all her children or all the people of the nation, um, all the people of the nation aren't wicked. But if God withholds the rain, they're all thirsty. Do you get it? If God brings blessing, the Bible says his blessing falls upon the, the wicked and the righteous, Right? So, so when God's judgment comes, God's judgment comes. It comes on the whole nation, and the call is for the nation, uh, ultimately for the nation to repent. Now, also, I don't want you to lose sight that this is also happening in the life of a real woman who has abandoned her family, turned her back on her children, and is running headlong after, you know, her lovers, other people who she thinks is going to take care of her or satisfy her or meet her needs. So you have this parallel happening in the life of Hosea and with the nation of Israel. So look what it says in verse 6. So therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. 
<coughs> the Lord is saying, I will resist you. So you want to go to the left, but I'm going to build a wall of thorns. What's the purpose of the wall of thorns? So you can't go that way. I'm going to resist what you're trying to do. When the Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, it's that idea. <clears throat> he is going to resist. Here in the scripture he says, I will heads up her way with thorns. So I'm not going to make it an easy pass. I'm not going to make it easy for her to, to, to uh, accomplish the goals that she has set. I will build a wall against her so she cannot find her path. So, so no matter how hard she works, she just can't quite get it together. And all the promises of all these people who are going to take care of her and meet her needs, those aren't real, right? You'll see when we find her at the end. And the same is true what we see in the nation of Israel, the same way. <clears throat> the same way. So he's going to resist our efforts. And then he's going to refuse the help of others. Now, you might ask yourself, why would God refuse the help of others in a situation like that? Where does the Lord want you to go for help? So how many times when I was, when I was younger, my parents were still around, how many times did I uh, reach out to help from mom or dad or Kathy's uh, mom or dad or somebody to help us when we were in financial bind. And uh, the reality is sometimes we're hampering the, the uh, growth of our children if we are taking care of them all the time. You have become their savior. And God wants to be the savior Right? God wants to be the source through which we find our help. Look what the scripture says in verse 7. She, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall, she, those are two hard words to put together. She shall, she shall seek them, but shall not find them. She shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So you have the exact same, you have a very clear parallel between Ezekiel 16 and the book of Hosea. So the picture is, the one who was providing for Hosea's wife is Hosea. But she took all the provision that was given to her, all the things that he lavished upon her, and he, she is giving that to her lovers. In her unfaithfulness, it's all for the Baals. Baal means Lord. Uh, it's also a, 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 a term for false worship, right? They, they called this the god Baal, but Baal, the term Baal means Lord. So they're, they're using it in false worship. The nation of Israel is giving all the gifts God gave to the nation of Israel and throwing all her gifts at the feet of idols. And the Bible says that she, she eventually, she keeps trying to get ahead and keep trying to find where she's going, but she's going to begin to say to herself, I should go back to my first husband. I should go back where it began, but she didn't understand 
Scripture says that it was I who gave her those blessings. Those blessings that are now missing that she does not, she has not yet recognized, but those blessings all come from the Lord, but they were used to worship Baal. They were used to give to the other, um, her other lovers. Verse 9, therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, my wine in its season. I'll take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. So God's saying, there's no help coming. I'm going to make sure there's not a rescue over here, not going to be a rescue over there, because what's necessary is for her to learn that the, the hand from which she's running is the hand she should be returning to. Not to a new rescuer. Not to somebody else who can swoop in. So God says, look, all those things that you're longing after, that you're chasing other lovers to, to receive, all of those things were things I gave you. They can't give. In fact, everything a lover would give her, where did the lover get it? All, all, the whole earth is full of the riches of God, right? It's all his. It all belongs to him. And so he's saying, look, there's not going to be a rescue. There's a sense in the scripture where the scripture calls us to lift our eyes up to the mountains and ask us a question. Where does your help come from? And the response is, my help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. You're my Savior, you're my God, you're my Lord, not Baal, not another lover, not another person. In the same sense, for Hosea, his wife, uh, what she needs is to return to her husband, the one who is to care and provide over her. And so in verse 11, he says, so I will put an end to all her mirth. So there starts to be an end of fun. It's all fun and games. You guys remember the prodigal son? It's all life of fun and games until what happens? He runs out of money. And he runs out of money, and then all of a sudden he's eating with the pigs, right? And the party starts to be no fun. So here's what the Lord says. I'll put an end to her mirth. The party. Yeah, I'll take it. Are you offering me water? Look at you. You're so good to me. And my doctor said, I should try to drink this once in a while. Yeah? We're, we're working on it. I'll get there one day. So the mirth ends. Her feasts go away. Her Sabbaths, all the appointed feasts. See, for them, for the nation of Israel, they would still do all their religious stuff. They would still go to the temple and make offerings. They would still go to the Sabbath. They would still go to Passover. They would still do all these things while they're worshiping Baal. And God's saying, I'm pulling all the mirth out of that. None of that's going to make any sense to you anymore. You're not going to want to be involved in this. You're not going to want to be involved in that. You're not going to want to be a part of these other things because I, I want you to recognize the emptiness in your life. You don't, if the Lord did nothing but bless us all the time, 
even when we were walking in wickedness, what, what would we learn? Would we ever learn about our sin? Would we ever turn from anything? No, it doesn't work like that. We all know it doesn't work like that, right? And so the Lord is saying, look, I'm going to ruin the attempts that you take to worship me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that you understand what the scripture says when it says, if you have, you find yourself bringing an offering to the Lord and there you recognize someone has ought against you or you have ought against them. God says, put your offering down and be reconciled to your brother first and then come to me. So the point is recognizing these things are supposed to be fixed. The scripture challenges us, right? It says, let a man examine himself to see that he's in the faith. So these events that occur in our life and in our surroundings are, are not necessarily uh, meaning that we're under some kind of judgment, but they are a requirement for us to look and see. Am I right? Am I in a right relationship with God right now? Am I, am I in the right place doing the right things or am I on the road running away from the Lord and I need to repent, change my direction, follow the Lord, seek his face. And so he's challenging that. In fact, Jesus said, Matthew 15, uh, when he's talking to the, to the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, you hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but what? Their heart is far from me. So don't you keep trying to show up and keep trying to punch a card and keep trying to do the religious things, but your heart is just not there. The Lord is saying to, to Hosea, to the nation of Israel, uh, also to the nation of Judah, hey, you need to examine yourself, see where you are, see what's happening in your life. And then if things need to be addressed, address them. Will God forgive uh, all he's looking for is repentance. That's an acknowledgement of wrongdoing and a, and a turning back to the Lord. Our pride is the only thing that stops us from doing that, right? I'm not wrong. It's them, those people. Somebody else is wrong, but not me. It's our pride that stops us from being able to do that. And then ultimately he says, look, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken so that the only thing we're holding on to is God, not something else, because God is that which can't be shaken. Look at verse 12. He says, I will lay waste to her vines or fig trees of which she said, these are my wages. This is all my stuff, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field will devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So God is saying through the relationship that Hosea is experiencing with his wife, this is how Israel is to me. She should be coming to me with the gifts she's giving to Baal. She gets dressed up and dolled up and she's excited to go see her lovers, the Baals, the other gods that she's worshiping, but she's not excited to come see me. Yet I'm the one who has given her these good gifts. So those good gifts are the things that are going to be restricted. So all that stuff is going to be shaken. And it's going to be shaken so that she recognizes, nope, so those aren't my figs, those are God's. 
Those aren't my vines, those are God's. Everything we have can go away, right? In the blink, that's how quick it can happen. And the Lord says he will shake those things who can be shaken so that we will hold on to him. We don't have to go to, to, to level H. You guys have to count that. I don't, I don't know what number that is. But there's a lot of steps to their lack of repentance that brings us to this point. And if you won't learn, the scripture says, I'll punish you seven times. And if you won't learn... I'll punish you seven times. And if you won't learn, you know, the Lord repeats that seven times things enough to get to pretty high numbers. Because he wants us to be able to walk with him. Now, we want to understand the, the cause of this, of this judgment that's going on. And part of the cause of that judgment is the fact that Hosea's wife has gone out after, here's the illustration, gone out after the world. Pleasure in the world. She's gone out after, you know, my husband's a square. I don't like him. Or, you know, I, I married him and then his hair fell out. I don't know. Uh, when I married him, he was, he was a beautiful man. Now he's ugly. I don't know. What the things are, none of those things matter. None of those things matter. But the point that the illustration is, okay, so you, you made a covenant to God between uh, husband and wife, and you are unfaithful to that covenant. Israel made a covenant to God to follow God, to worship God. She's unfaithful because she has gone after the world. And the Bible tells us not to love the world or the things in the world because they will pull our heart away from God. Is there good things in the world? Sure. But they can be the very things that distract us. What is the response we're supposed to give to the world? 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So we don't want to get pulled down when we, we talk about the fall of man all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. We see these three things, right? The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. So we don't want to be distracted by the grass is only greener where you water it. So if you're looking at greener grass, stop watering it and it'll turn brown. Water the grass in your own yard. He says in James 4, not to make friends with the world. He says in James 4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is war with God? Enmity with God, that's what enmity means, war with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if I say, I want to follow God and I want to go after the Lord and I want to, I want to, he's my God, I'm his people and I want to serve him and I want to walk with him, then there's going to be a distinction between me and the world. Now, that, again, that doesn't mean that you, there's nothing good in the world that, that you can't enjoy as long as it has, it doesn't own you. It can't possess you. 
It can't be your motivation for rising up in the morning and going. It's not friendship with the world. If you have friendship with the world, if your desire is to make the world happy, you will be an enemy of God. And if you want to make God, you want to please God, honor God, you will be an enemy of the world. If that can't be any clearer than it is today, right? Where right is wrong and wrong is right. Light is dark and dark is light. We're not to be stained by the world. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and, everybody always leaves this part off, keep oneself unstained by the world. Don't let the world stain. Do we get dirty walking around in the world? Yeah. And that's why we need to be washed with the water of the word. Right? And then finally, we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right? We're to allow Christ to transform us. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we want to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ in our life. Now, now as we move forward, we, we, so again, just like, just like normal in Hosea, there's a lot of judgment. If you don't repent, this is going to happen. If you don't repent, this is going to happen. <clears throat> but then he always is going to open up the door of hope. And we're going to see that in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, therefore, behold, there's going to be three I wills here. Uh, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me Ishi, my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, Lord. There's a change of relationship. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. So he's going to allure her, he's going to give to her, and he's going to remove from her. So there's three things in the, in the future that he's saying. Here's the present you're entering into a time of dryness and, and unsatisfaction and your life's going to get pretty rocked uh, to bring you to the state where you repent. But during that time, God says, I will allure her. Therefore, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So he's going to call her to himself. He's going to call her back. Come back. Come back. He's going to draw her. Verse 15, and there I will give her vineyards. So he's going to provide for her again. He's going to allure her to himself. And then he's going to assure her, I will take care of you in the valley of Achor. The word Achor means trouble. In the midst of the trouble where she's being driven to repent, in the midst of her trouble and every door closing on her and everybody use, in the story of Hosea's wife, they're going to use her up. 
when Hosea goes and purchases her, she's going to be bought for next to nothing. Valued less than half the price of a slave. So it's not, he's not paying a high price. Nobody values her. She's, she's out. She's totally cut off. She, there's, there's no hope for her at all in the valley of her trouble except for the husband who loves her. He will bring her home. It's a promise of redemption, the story of Hosea, God's ability to redeem. So even in the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So the promise here in Hosea is that promise. I will take care of you. I'm going to take it all off so you recognize in the midst of your trouble that you're in trouble. And then I'm going to call you to myself. And I'm going to care for you in the valley of trouble. And there she will answer like she did in her youth. In the beginning, she will answer like she did when she came out of Egypt. Now, I know it didn't take them very long to start complaining when they got out of Egypt. But in the beginning, that first day when they got to walk out free, at least for the first couple of hours, they were happy. And the Lord saying, look, it's going to be like that. She will know that I am caring for her. In verse 16, and in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me Ishi, my husband, and you will not call me Lord. There's a shift in relationship that has taken place. And the emphasis is the love. The love is the lordship demands obedience. The Lord demands obedience. The husband, he assures with love. He accepts lovingly. So no longer will you call me my Lord, that's what Baal means. And then I'm going to take out all the other lords out of your memory. All the other names. Anybody got any names floating around in their head from past relationships they'd like to see the Lord take away? I'll take them all out. So what God says. I'm going to take them all out. So it's just you and me. There's no other lords. For Israel, there will be no other gods but me. That's why he uses the term Baal. So we recognize the link between the story of a woman who's unfaithful with other lovers and a nation that's unfaithful with other gods. Everybody with me? So this is why he's laying that out. You're not going to remember those names anymore. You're going to have the blessing of forgetfulness. When God redeems, all that stuff goes away. He will wash it out. Though my sins were as scarlet, they become what? White as snow. Bang. That's a, that's a change. Distinction is being made. And so he says, And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. So now he's affirming the covenant. He's affirming the same covenant that Hosea is going to affirm with his wife, right? He's going to bring her back under his protection. The Lord is saying to the nation of Israel, I'm going to bring you back. There will be a restoration that takes place. 
And then that restoration is done. There will be no more war. So has that happened yet? No, there's still war, right? We're looking forward to that day. But he says, there will be a day. I will take it. So I'm affirming when Messiah comes, when his kingdom reigns, there will be no more war. It will be finished. He goes on in verse 19, and I will betroth you to me for how long? So how long is the covenant with Israel good? It's kind of hard to throw that one out, isn't it? I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and they shall know I am the Lord. So we have three things, three betrothals. This is still part of a marriage ceremony today, Jewish marriage ceremony. Three betrothals. First, I betroth you to me forever. His love is eternal. The second betrothal I will betroth you in righteousness, justice, chesed, and mercy. Steadfast love, faithful love. That's what chesed means. So his love is righteous, just, steadfast, and merciful. All. All justice, all love, all mercy, all faithfulness. It's all. So no matter what, where we are in the story... God still loves us. It has nothing to do with, you know, whether or not I find myself in a dry wilderness. God's love is right. And it's just. And if I find myself in the wilderness, there's probably a reason I'm there. But it's steadfast. He doesn't stop loving you. It's faithful and merciful. So whenever God brings discipline, he also brings Hope for restoration. Amen? He brings redemption. His love, the third betrothal, he is betrothed in faithfulness. His love is faithful, forever faithful. Then he goes on in verse 21. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they will answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. Remember the names of the children? I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. So it's the total redemption of the judgment that God is bringing. He will restore his blessing. He'll bring back the productivity that's gone. The, the place of Jezreel where the whole nation is going to fall apart is going to be changed and it will be the place where the whole nation will be restored. The planting of his people, the returning of mercy, their passion for the Lord, and the people will become his people. We can read about this in Romans chapter 9. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, no mercy, I will call her beloved. So we have the fulfillment of God's promise. Now we're going to finish up chapter three, just take us a couple of minutes, only five verses. And the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. 
and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love the cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a litek of barley. So 15 shekels is half the price of a slave. The price for betraying Jesus was 30 pieces of silver. That's the price of a slave. Half the price of a slave is what she got and a small amount of barley that, you would, that it would take to feed one animal, to throw barley out for an animal. The barley was not food they ate. It was food for animals. So he gave a, a small amount, a litek, a, a handful of barley and half the price of a slave. The point in the story is nobody wants her. The people she went to to take care of her have used her up, and now she's just yesterday's old news. Nobody cares. Nobody's taking care of her. Nobody wants her. Nobody will pay anything for her. So when Hosea comes, he, he pays the price to redeem his bride. She's his. But he pray, pays the price Anyways, look what it says, verse 3. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You will not play the whore or belong to another man. And so I also will be to you. So he says, you're going to come home and be faithful to me. And I'm going to be faithful to you. We're going home. And so he brings her home. The scripture lays out for us that when we repent, the Lord receives us back. And the past is forgotten. We're not every one of us. You know, one of my favorite things when I read Ezekiel 16 is to just put myself in that field. I'm that baby. I'm the unfaithful woman in the story. And God's redemption of me throughout that story is a beautiful thing to to see, I recognize who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace, by Jesus Christ, my Lord. He paid the price for me. I wasn't worth much. And he paid abundantly above 15 shekels of silver. Then it goes on. Look at this incredible promise of the future. He then lifts his eyes and says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king, or a prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod, that's high priest, or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. They will seek David their king. They will come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. There is a future. He says, you're going to dwell many days without all these things you wanted. No country, no king, no temple, no priest. That's still going on. But he says there will be a day when the children of Israel will return, when they will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for an only son. That's what the Bible declares. And they will seek the Lord their God. Day is not today. There will be a day when they will seek the Lord their God and Messiah as king. That's what it means, David their king. This is a, 
messianic uh, idiom. It's looking to Messiah. Who's the son of David? The Messiah. He's the, the once and future king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. You see that the attitude will be the same as Hosea's wife. You imagine how she felt when Hosea came through the door? You know, like, think back to movies, you know, Officer and a Gentleman. And the lady's working in, the, in that place as she's stuck in forever. And, and the officer comes in and picks her up and carries her out. You don't work here. You're with me. Only the difference is Hosea's wife was a prostitute working for a pimp who couldn't put her out anymore. So you can imagine what that kind of life was like. And one day Hosea comes in and opens the door. And he picks her up and he takes her home. And then in the end of chapter 3 it says, this is how Israel's going to come back to God. They're going to look upon him. They're going to long for their Messiah. And they will come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness. To enjoy the goodness that the Lord has for them. It's an incredible love story that we see beginning. Now Hosea has several prophecies. We're going to look into those now for the next several weeks. We'll be looking into those prophecies. But all the prophecies we're going to look in fit in the brackets of the story we just told. Okay? So when we're looking at all those prophecies, they may be in the beginning or the middle or the end, but they're going to fit in the bracket of the story, the illustration about the children of Israel. That northern kingdom that Hosea is talking to is going to become the Samaritans. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is going to say to his disciples, hey guys, we got to go to Samaria. They're going to say, what do we got to go there for? There's just a bunch of good-for-nothing people there. But Jesus has an appointment with an immoral woman. You think that's accident? Who's had four, four husbands and the man she's living with is not her husband? And from that meeting, there's going to spread a revival through all of Samaria. And they will come to the Messiah. Come see the one who has told me everything I ever did. That's beautiful to understand as that picture comes. I, I think there's still future fulfillment, but what a beautiful end of the story. Uh, there in the Gospel of John. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, I'm so uh, thankful for your word and for the declaration that your word gives us. We, I, I don't know, Lord, I'm just blown away by how much you love me. I'd say that nobody else has ever loved me like you have. No one else has loved me enough to correct me, loved me enough to straighten me out, loved me enough to do the things that you have done for me. What a beautiful story to see it illustrated on the pages of a betrothal to the nation of Israel. And though she walks in wickedness and has been cast off for a time, Paul would write in Romans 11, she has not been cast off forever.
there's a day coming, a promise was made, and God will fulfill it. So Lord, we're just, we're just thankful for the truth of your word, for what your word declares, for how you move in our midst, the truth, God, that your scripture lays out. So, Lord, we just pray as we close out this evening, Lord, that you would be glorified in this place and that no one would go from here without knowing that kind of love, the love with which you loved the nation, Hosea loved a wife. God, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.